Welcome to the Weekly Beat by Mansa with your hosts Arnold Segawa, Maggie Mutesi, and Dumi Jere, giving you all the info on Africa's big finance and economic stories. The Weekly Beat by Mansa. Greetings and uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this week's episode of The Weekly Beat. My name is Dumi Jere, and I'm coming to you from South Africa. I'm in the driver's seat today. With me is uh, my co-host, Maggie Mutesi. Thank you so much. Because, Maggie, you've been so busy and you've been uh, present on the ground in uh, Geneva the other week in Switzerland and uh, doing uh, the series with uh, UNCTAD. I'm going to let you introduce, please, our guest for today. Thank you very much, Dumi. We are now joined by Rolf Traeger, who is the chief of the least developed countries of the United Nations. Obviously, there is so much to talk about, and I have to say that this is so exciting to have Rolf with us today. Thanks, Rolf, for joining us. Um, this report points out the least developed countries, of course, most of them are in Africa. There's something that is really intriguing. Uh, you would think or imagine that the coronavirus has put it in the same space or on the same page uh, in terms of development. But when you look at the report, it's like things are still as they were. And uh, in fact, it has upgraded some countries in Africa. Countries like Angola, countries like uh, Guinea-Bissau, which are commodity dependent, have been actually upgraded for my least developed countries. But I have to ask though, what kind of metrics or what did you really consider when you were really compiling this report? Yes, uh, that's right. I mean, uh, what uh, is new about the COVID crisis is that uh, it has hit all countries alike. Rich and poor, small uh, and big, uh, all countries in the world have been uh, hit uh, by, by the COVID crisis. But uh, the, what really differentiates uh, them is their capacity to react, or I mean, technically speaking, it's their resilience to external shocks because, I mean, well, I mean, it's something, it's a crisis which came from abroad and, the, and uh, it brought uh, with it very serious economic and social consequences. But then the question is, what are the capabilities which countries have to react to this? What are uh, the means uh, which countries can avail themselves in order to prop up their economy, in order to sustain the level of income of their population, and in order to rebuild the economy. And this is exactly what most differentiates the LDCs from other countries. It's the fact that, yes, they were very much hit by the pandemic, but their capacity that they have to react to provide support to their companies, to provide financial support in terms of income of their population is much, much, much less than that of other countries, be it other developed countries, not to mention developed countries, but I mean also middle-income countries. So, I mean, the financial means, the institutional means which LDCs have, they are much less. So, that's why the effects of the COVID crisis they are expected to linger much longer in the LDCs than in all other countries. Mm. That's uh, quite fascinating that you mentioned the effects of the COVID-19 because um, I think 
we're all in agreement that uh, the ability of all of these countries to respond and to recover from the COVID-19 crisis and thereafter advance towards sustainable development is heavily dependent on uh, their capability to increase their production. Is that not right? Absolutely, because I mean, that's exactly what uh, is at the basis of uh, these uh, different capabilities which countries have to respond uh, to external shocks. Because I mean, those countries which have a more developed productive base, which have developed their productive capacities, which have uh, a, a very dense network of companies, of enterprises, which generate not just employment, but economic activities, which pay taxes to government, they can afford to have a better Mm. functioning government, government which has a broader fiscal space, which can uh, have be better structure, have better qualified civil servants, etc. And therefore, they are better capable of enacting economic policy to support the level of economic activity, but also at the times of crisis to mobilize the resources to combat these emergencies, as has been uh, the case of, uh, of COVID. And this is exactly the basis of this difference in the capacity react between the LDCs, the least developed countries, mm, mm, and all other countries, mm. both other developing countries and the rich countries. It's that in these yeah. other countries, you have a much more developed economic base, much broader, which means that uh, their state is better equipped financially, yes, but yes, also in yes. terms of institutions, in terms of human resources, to spur economic activity, to spur employment, and to support uh, the income of their population. Ah, okay. You know, uh, something that stood out for me when I was looking at this uh, report, it was uh, the fact that there are about 46 countries that, um, well, form, call them the LDCs, is developed countries. But of the 46, the majority is in Africa. Now, I also found out that um, there are one or two African countries that managed to graduate, I don't know if we can call it that, but they managed to go a step further and are no longer classified as LDCs. So in your view, what would you say then, because I saw an example of, I think it was Angola and Botswana, I think, that were uh, moved from, from this list onto, well, no longer being classified as LDCs. In your view, what are some of the things that you would say maybe those countries did uh, that allow them to, you know, move out of that group of LDCs into the next next stage? Yes, so you're right. I mean, at present, there are 46 LDCs, out of which 33 are in Africa. So it means that wow. the majority of uh, LDCs are African countries, but also, conversely, that the majority of African countries are LDCs. Now, uh, there is uh, this uh, thing that... Uh, when countries manage to develop, manage to strengthen their productive capacities, to raise the level of income of their population, they move out of the LDC category, which is oh, called okay. graduation. In, in the okay. case of Africa, there are three countries which have been able uh, to graduate. Uh, I mean, the LDC category was established exactly 50 years ago in 1971. So since then, 
uh, three African countries have graduated. Who are they? It's Botswana, Cabo Verde, and Equatorial Guinea. So then uh, you ask a very pertinent question. What have these countries done right, which allowed them uh. to graduate out of the LDC category? In the case of Equatorial Guinea, it's simply, it's very simple. It's because of oil wealth. So, I mean, uh, oil wealth uh, brings uh, quick uh, income increase, uh, at least at an average level. So, that's how Equatorial Guinea has graduated. But, of course, the other two cases are more interesting. The first is Botswana and Cabo Verde. Botswana, you may say, well, uh, it's also rich in natural resources. It's got uh, the diamonds, and that's part of the story. But, I mean, the case of graduation of Botswana it's also based on uh, uh, institution building, on good management, uh, on uh, trying to diversify uh, the economy, etc. Mm. And finally, mm. you have the case of Cabo Verde, which does not have oil, does not have diamonds, etc. So yeah. how did it manage to, um, to graduate? And on top of it, it's far away from the rest of the continent, uh, so it's a small island state. So how did it uh, graduate? Well, it's basically by diversifying its economy, by going beyond, of course, agricultural production, by developing the services sector. First of all, of course, the tourism uh, sector, but also to a certain extent, financial uh, services and by investing very heavily in human resources. Plus, you have to think that Cape uh, Cabo Verde benefits a lot from the remittances that its diaspora mm. sends back home. So it has been uh, capable of mobilizing these financial resources, these remittances, to again invest yeah. in these factors which have helped the country to develop, basically developing their human resources and diversifying their uh, the economic activities so that they would not be dependent on just one sector. So, for instance, fisheries is another mm -hmm. sector which is important for them, apart from uh, tourism and apart from other services industries. So, Cape, uh, Cabo Verde is a good example of countries which uh, did not benefit from exceptional wealth, which comes mm. from oil or from diamonds, but still... Yes. Uh, which did the right things in terms of managing, in terms of investing in their people, in terms of managing their resources widely to the benefit of the development of the country. When you say that countries like Angola and Guinea-Bissau graduated, I mean, they are still commodity-dependent countries. They depend on oil, they depend on commodities to, you know, for their economies to survive. And one of the things that has been emphasized even in this report when you look deeper is also diversification, and you've mentioned just a while ago. Now, saying that they've been graduated, isn't that taking a step ahead and then taking another step back? Because then they are still relying on these commodities. In just a few years, they're still going to go back to less developed countries. Just help us understand that. Well, I mean, uh, the, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's Equatorial Guinea, which has graduated, and Angola could already have graduated, but since they are in a very dire economic uh, situation, 
their graduation has been uh, postponed uh, to 2024. But I mean, what's the problem of being uh, having the economy turning around one or just a few commodities? It's that the country becomes very vulnerable to whatever happens in the international market for this uh, commodity. So in the case of Angola, it's a huge country, it's a middle-sized population, etc., which has huge potential, potential, fertile land, etc. But its main uh, challenge is the extent to which the economy is dependent on oil. And I mean, of course, uh, apart from oil, it also has diamonds. So if you put uh, oil and diamonds together, you get 97% of Angolan exports. What's the problem? It's that whenever you have a fall in the international prices of oil, of crude oil, uh, the Angolan economy has huge difficulties. All of the incomes of governments, uh, which are uh, to more than 80% dependent on oil revenues, they go down uh, all of a sudden. So I remember uh, it was some 10 or 12 years ago. uh, In one year, the um, prices of oil were very high. So Angola experienced a very strong economic growth. It grew by 20% in one year. This is a very, very high exceptional rate of uh, economic growth. And the next year, Mm. prices came down, and all of a sudden, the economy did not grow at all. It stagnated. So the economic growth went from 20% to zero. So this shows what are the dangers of depending to such a strong extent on just one product. So, I mean, that's why it's so important to diversify and possibly to use the resources which you are earning out of oil or out of commodities in general to invest in new sectors. Angola has tried to do this, but it has only gone so far. So it's it's uh, very important. Uh, and this is true not just for Angola, but for all uh, commodity-dependent countries. And it's the case of the DRC, it's the case of Zambia, it's the case of Mauritania. So many countries in Africa are commodity dependent and all of them are trying to diversify. But of course, they are successful to a larger or smaller extent. In most cases, it has proved very difficult. And I would assume that that would make them vulnerable, you know, because when there are shocks like COVID-19 or even, you know, dropping commodity prices, then there's uncertainty. You know, they go back to the same place where they are, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, if you have these uh, external shocks uh, of which the country, for which the country is not responsible at all, but what happens? It brings uh, with it a world recession. So it was the huge, uh, the strongest uh, economic drawback since World War II on a global scale. But this uh, um, means that, that the consumption of raw materials, the consumption of commodities fell precipitously. So this brought uh, commodity prices down to their knees back in 2020. So all of those countries which are dependent on the exports of commodities, I mean, of course, you have the case of oil, but it could be copper, it can be cotton, can be cobalt, uh, whatever. All of these countries, they suffer immediately from this precipitous fall in the international prices of commodities. They are not responsible for it, 
but they are very, very vulnerable to these developments which escape their control. All right. Obviously, it, it would be very amiss of uh, us to have a conversation with um, someone from the United Nations, whichever division it is, and not talk about uh, the sustainable development goals. Obviously, now, because these least developed countries don't have that much financial means, that probably means that they will also miss their SDGs targets because those targets require massive investment and spending. From your standpoint, one, what is the outlook and uh, how can uh, these countries still meet uh, the SDGs even though they are still classified as least developed? And how can they finance their structural reforms so that they can also graduate into the next zone? Okay, thank you for this question. And uh, in fact, the LDC report, which Anktad uh, published uh, just last week, it actually tries for the very first time to make an estimate of how much it would cost for LDCs to meet some of these uh, sustainable development goals. So for instance, the very first uh, sustainable development goal talks about uh, eradication of extreme poverty. Yes. And uh, we have found that uh, LDCs, uh, they would need to invest $485 billion every single year for the next 10 years in order to be able to eradicate extreme poverty. Now, you have to think that in uh, 2019, before the outbreak of the pandemic uh, crisis, they invested just $305 billion. So this would mean an, uh, a rise of more than 60% in the uh, investment. So this shows that it is a huge challenge. And we made another estimate, which uh, would mean for these countries to industrialize, which we measure as having the share of manufacturing doubling as a, as a share of GDP. This would require even higher investment. This would require more than $1 trillion of investment every single year. So every single year for the next 10 uh, years. So that's more than three times uh, the amount that they did invest in 2019, even before the crisis. So this shows that the financing needs, they are huge, they are enormous. Mm -hmm. At the same time, it is uh, indispensable for these countries to transform the structure of their economies, to um, diversify away from commodities, to industrialize, to become more productive, uh, to uh, pay better jobs for their population. So the question is, how do you finance this? And there are different ways of uh, financing. I mean, the financing mm. uh, needs and requirements, they are huge, huge. And they clearly go beyond the capacity of uh, these countries to finance it. First of all, they need uh, to invest in their fiscal capacity, what we call domestic resource mobilization. So they need to put in place better performing fiscal administration to clamp down on tax evasion, including international financial flows, uh, etc. But more important than this is the external financing that these countries receive. There is a particularly official uh, development assistance, which they receive uh, from the rich countries, uh, the donor countries, uh, 
which should increase uh, substantially. This is one source. Another source uh, is now that the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, uh, has uh, decided uh, to allocate to its member states $650 billion. But I mean, the the part which uh, should go to LDCs is very small. It's just uh, $15 billion. So you would need to have many of the members uh, forsaking their liquidity and allowing it to to be directed to LDCs. Mm. And finally, you have also foreign direct investment, which needs to be mobilized, but strategically, uh, which means that uh, these uh, private foreign resources, they they need to be mobilized in such a way as it helps the development of these countries, i.e. that uh, these foreign investors, they are coming and they are investing in a way which is coherent with national uh, development uh, plans. So, first of all, it's uh, important to mobilize very massive, massive amount of resources, but what uh, should be done with these resources? It's important to invest in new sectors of economic activities, more performance uh, sectors, to increase the technological capabilities of the companies of these uh, countries and to create more companies which are more performant and which can generate more and better performant jobs. So for all of this, it's absolutely crucial to mobilize uh, these, uh, these, uh, this financing and to use it in order to diversify the economy in order to transform the structure of these economies so that they stop being dependent on just one sector, on just a couple of commodity products, and that they reach higher levels of productivity so that they can pay much better salaries to the employees, to the population at large. Yeah. Wow. It uh, certainly sounds like uh, the international community has an essential role to play, um, you know, in supporting Definitely. these LCDs uh, to help them mobilize uh, adequate financing for their developmental needs. Uh, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there for now. Um, we would definitely needed more time for this conversation. But uh, thank you so, so, so much, Ralph. Uh, really appreciate you and taking this uh, report with us. Okay, and thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Indeed, indeed. All right, folks, that's it. On that note, a special thank you to my co-host, Maggie, uh, as well as our guest, uh, Rolf Trager. He is the chief of the least developed countries section at the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development, otherwise known as UNCTAD. From the team behind the scenes, uh, we really appreciate you tuning in. And uh, remember to visit our website, mantamedia.africa, for more news about the continent as well as uh, follow our social media pages, Mansa Media Africa on Facebook and Mansa underscore media on Twitter. Please follow our podcast on Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts so that you are notified whenever a new episode goes live. I am Dumi Jere. Until the next time, here's to peace and profit. The Weekly Beat by Mansa with your hosts, Arnold Segawa. Maggie Mutesi and Dumi Jerry, giving you all the info on Africa's big finance and economic stories. The Weekly Beat by Mansa.